Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Excited to be with you today. The title of our program today is How to Be More Purposeful. And obviously, there's a lot of books written on the subject. There's a lot of research on the Internet, on the spiritual websites. The question, what's God's purpose for my life or God's will for my life? It's a question that people are asking all the time. How can I be more purposeful? And so we're going to throw a few ideas out here today, not an exhaustive work on the subject, but enough to get you thinking. Purpose, by its very definition, is the reason for which something is done or created or the reason for which something exists. The French call it the raison d'etre, the reason for existence. What is that for you? And what gives you a sense of purpose? In my experience, it's many things, okay? My faith, my family, the work that I do, the people I get to serve with at Buffini Company, that all collides together for me in a sense of purpose, the people we get to serve. And so that's what people are looking for. Harvard Business Review just did a a study and said 90% of Americans would be willing to take a pay cut for a meaningful job. That same review said employees with very meaningful work spend one additional hour per week working and take two fewer days of paid leave per year. Well, I can testify to that because of Buffini Company. We've won an award four years in a row as the best place to work in San Diego. But we have a problem on our books is that we can't get people to take all their vacation time. And we're typically chasing people to take their vacation time because it just builds up on the books and people are working. That same study showed that employees who derive meaning from their work report almost twice the job satisfaction and are three times more likely to stay with their organization working their business. And so we've seen that and we have a lot of longevity here at our organization. And so 74% of people surveyed said they don't enjoy the work they do. Now, look... You don't have to enjoy every part of the work you do. Not everything's fun. Not everything's glam. But if you just go to work every day and it's a grind and you hate it, there's three things to ask yourself. One is, why do I hate it? Number two, did I used to love it? If you used to love it and now you hate it, either something around it's changed or you've changed. And number three, what would I be happier doing? And it's very important. Now, sometimes you can chase that into strange places, but ultimately you need to ask yourself, And that's why the question we're talking about today is more important than just being happy. It's something that has meaning to it, something that has a sense of purpose to it, something that has a sense of fulfillment to it. And it doesn't always have to mean that it's famous or glamorous or that you're going to be in the spotlight, but it does need to have a sense of purpose. And one of the things I'm very excited about the younger generation coming along is this question of purpose is on the forefront of many younger people. And many millennials, for example, want to work in a job that has more meaning and significance to them. And I think more power to you. Now, the first step is to have a job. The next step is to earn some money. The next step is to, you know, take care of your responsibilities. And then the next step is to grow in your skills and to develop and find out what you like and what you're good at and why you like it and what need does it serve. And so that's where The big thing with your purpose is that your purpose won't show up one day. It shows up day by day. So we're going to delve into three points, as we always do. First, I want to talk about why we fail, okay, why the struggle is real. 
Then we're going to talk about succeeding on purpose, which is really about how to become more purposeful. And then we're going to give you some starting points and some things to get you going on down the road. So let's kind of drill into why do we fail. First thing is we don't know what we want, okay? My good friend Joe Nego used to say most people aim for nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. If you don't know where you're going, every road will take you there. We don't know what we want. And so we have to ask questions. That's why in the busy media, TV, phone indoctrinated world we live in, rarely are there quiet spaces that we create to ask ourselves these questions. Like, what is it I enjoy doing? Why do I enjoy doing it? What would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? What would I do if I didn't need the money? It's great to think about those. Now, it's very important not to abandon the sequence to how to get there. And that is very important. If any younger folks listening to me today, but, but also some older folks that are like, okay, that's it. I know what I really want, and I'm going to abandon what I do. I believe success leaves clues. Your tomorrow builds on your today, and what you're doing today should be a stepping stone to get you to where you really want to be. But you got to at least ask the question, what do I really want? You know, those are important questions, all right? And with that, then you can start to focus. You can start to think about it. You can start to put your attention into the area that you want to be in. Alexander Graham Bell is a guy that changed the world with his inventions. He said, concentrate all your thoughts upon the work at hand. The sun's rays do not burn until brought to a focus. Okay, very, very powerful. Confucius said, the man who chases two rabbits catches neither. Okay, so we have to know what do we want? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do if you didn't need the money? Here's the next reason we fail. We react to the urgent. Some people call the tyranny of the urgent, okay? And so the urgent creates overwhelm. We've had at our events a number of times the great Mel Robbins, and we've done podcasts with Mel Robbins, and she talks about the five-second rule. Well, the five-second rule is a great technique to deal with the tyranny of the urgent. Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, said, between stimulus and response, there is a space in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. You know, this whole urgency is sped up. You know, anyone who has more than one kid that I talk to and my own experience in life talks about, you know, you're the chauffeur taking them to this, to this, to this. Kids used to have time to play and think and play out in the yard and so on and so forth. And now the dynamic is they're taken to activities and we go, we go, we go. And I often talk to younger couples that there's this whole season in life where you're living in the blender. And you buy a house and you have some kids and they're going to school and then you got sports and activities and drama club and all these different things and the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and the this and the that. And the next thing you know, it's like you wake up one morning, you're 40. And like, how in the world did that happen? And I just call it life in the blender. And life in the blender is the speed of life that preoccupies us day to day, and everything becomes the tyranny of the urgent. And we have to be very, very intentional to take little time out. Time outs in every single day. We need to start the day with a little time out. We need to end the day with a little review. That's where a little journal comes in very handy. Just taking just a few minutes, even if it's 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening, just to, those little bit of time out so you don't end up, you know, kind of missing out on where true north is for you, okay? Because reacting to the urgent, you get to stay in that space and you're like a mouse on the wheel. And then the third reason people fail is not being consistent. And as the head of the largest business coaching company in North America, 
The number one thing that I know that the coaches do is help people be consistent. The number one reason why we see people fail is when people are inconsistent. And consistency is hard. Consistency is not sexy. Consistency kind of sucks. And it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. For example, I've been for the last year working out faithfully. I have averaged four times a week working out with a trainer. Uh, my trainer, Michael Stromness, the beard as we call him, just moved out of state. And so for seven weeks, I didn't have a trainer. And so I worked out some on my own. I have a gym at my house. I have a, another gym that Beverly and I belong to and a little resort down the street. Went over there, did all kinds of cool stuff, yada, 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 and consistency's out the window. And so I started looking back at my schedule here the other day, and instead of four days a week, I've averaged a little less than twice a week since the trainer's gone. So this last week, I signed up with the new trainer. Why? Because consistency's hard. And I felt like I've been at this for a while. I've been doing this very well. I've gotten to enjoy working out. I like every part of it. And uh, yet, without the trainer, inconsistent. We see it in our real estate clients, for example. They started with us making around less than 50 grand a year, and we get them up to about 350 grand a year within a few years. It's interesting, even clients who've been with us seven or eight years, the average drop-off in income in the first year when someone decides, uh, you know, I'm either retiring from coaching or I'm taking a break or whatever else, the average drop-off in revenue is $106,000. And that's all down to one word, consistency. Everybody thinks they're going to be consistent. Everybody thinks they're going to be fine. But we all need help. We all need help. And so Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence is not an act. It's a habit. And what I found is that we all need help with those habits. So just kind of painting out the picture, why do we struggle? Why are we not being more purposeful? Well, there's some examples there. We struggle with not knowing what we want. We react to the urgent. And then we tend towards inconsistencies. Okay? So today we're going to focus on now what it means to succeed on purpose, how to be more purposeful in your business, more purposeful in your life. So you can be an on-purpose person, okay? And so, again, it starts out with figuring out what you really want, right? So that's the start. And I'm going to actually do something I haven't done in a long time, which is I'm going to read some excerpts from a book. And I'm going to read a story that begins uh, the most powerful, the most successful personal growth and development book outside of the Bible ever written. And it's called uh, Think and Grow Rich. And uh, I know you've heard of it because uh, it's sold over 100 million copies. I find it fascinating that by the time Napoleon Hill passed away, it had sold 20 million copies. He passed in 1970. And the book was written just right around, just a little after the Great Depression started. So it had 40 years to run, and it sold 20 million copies. And since then, it sold uh, over 80 million copies since he passed away. So pretty powerful book. And there's a story in here that starts the book off about Edwin Barnes. And I'm going to talk to you about that. And, you know, the book says in it, there's a secret to success. There's a secret to thinking and growing rich. And there's a secret. And what's wild about people, and there's been books written about what is the secret. And uh, it's been seminars done for decades about what the secret is. And it's kind of hilarious to me. It was always hilarious to me because it's in the very first page of the book. And it's right there in the first story of the book. And uh, it, whatever reason, people didn't seem to get it. But anyway, there you go. So this is a story about Edwin Barnes. And he figured out what he really wanted. And so the power of thought is the first chapter of the book. And I'm going to read you a couple of pages because this is a neat story. 
So this is story time with Brian right here. And it says, The man who thought his way into partnership with Thomas Edison. Truly thoughts are things, and powerful things at that, when mixed with purpose, persistence, and a burning desire for their translation into riches or other material objects. Edwin Barnes discovered how true it is that men really do think and grow rich. His discovery did not come about at one sitting. It came little by little, beginning with a burning desire to become a business associate of the great Thomas Edison. One of the chief characteristics of Barnes' desire was that it was definite. He wanted to work with Edison, not for Edison. Observe carefully the description of how he went about translating his desire into reality, and you will have a better understanding of the 13 principles which lead to riches. When this desire impulse of thought first flashed into his mind, he was in no position to act upon it. Two difficulties stood in his way. He did not know Mr. Edison, and he did not have enough money to pay his rail fare to Orange, New Jersey. These difficulties were sufficient to have discouraged the majority of people from making any attempt to carry out his desire. He had no ordinary desire. He was so determined to find a way to carry out his desire that he finally decided to travel by blind baggage rather than be defeated. To the uninitiated, this means that he went to East Orange on a freight train. He presented himself at Mr. Edison's laboratory and announced he had come to go into business with the inventor. In speaking of the first meeting between them years later, Mr. Edison said, He stood there before me, looking like an ordinary tramp, but there was something in the expression of his face which conveyed the impression that he was determined to get what he'd come after. I had learned from years of experience with men that when a man really desires a thing so deeply that he is willing to stake his entire future on a single turn of the wheel in order to get it, he is sure to win. I gave him the opportunity he asked for, because I saw he had made up his mind to stand by until he succeeded. Subsequent events proved that no mistake was made. Just what young Barnes said to Mr. Edison on that occasion was far less important than what he thought. Edison himself said so. It could not have been the young man's appearance that got him his start in the Edison office, for that was definitely against him. It was what he thought that counted. If the significance of this statement could be conveyed to every person who reads it, there would be no need for the remainder of this book. Barnes did not get his partnership with Edison on his first interview. He did get a chance to work in the Edison office at a very nominal wage, doing work that was unimportant to Edison, but most important to Barnes. It gave him an opportunity to display his merchandise, where his intended partner could see it. Months went by. Apparently nothing happened to bring the coveted goal, which Barnes had set up in his mind as his definite major purpose. But something important was happening in Barnes's mind. He was constantly intensifying his desire to become the business associate of Edison. Psychologists have correctly said, when one is truly ready for a thing, it puts it in its appearance. Barnes was ready for a business association with Edison. Moreover, he was determined to remain ready until he got that which he was seeking. He did not say to himself, ah, well, what's the use? I guess I'll change my mind and try for a salesman's job. But he did say, I came here to go into business with Edison, and I'll accomplish this end if it takes the remainder of my life. He meant it. What a different story people would have to tell if only they would adopt a definite purpose 
and stand by that purpose until it had time to become an all-consuming obsession. Maybe young Barnes did not know it at the time, but his bulldog determination, his persistence with a single desire, was determined to mow down all opposition and bring him the opportunity he was seeking. When the opportunity came, it appeared in a different form and from a different direction than Barnes had expected. This is one of the tricks of opportunity. It has a sly habit of slipping in the back door and often comes disguised in the form of misfortune or temporary defeat. Perhaps this is why so many fail to recognize opportunity. Mr. Edison had just perfected a new office device, known at that time as the Edison Dictating Machine, later called the Edaphone. His salesmen were not enthusiastic over the machine. They did not believe in it, and they didn't believe it could be sold without great effort. Barnes saw his opportunity. It had crawled in quietly, hidden in a queer-looking machine that interested no one but Barnes and the inventor. Barnes knew he could sell the Edison dictating machine. He suggested this to Edison and promptly got his chance. He did sell the machine. In fact, he sold it so successfully that Edison gave him a contract to distribute and market it all over the nation. Out of that business association grew the slogan, made by Edison and installed by Barnes. This business alliance made Barnes rich in money, but he accomplished something infinitely greater. He proved that one really may think and grow rich. Four pages into the book, it's all there. Definite major purpose. Make up your mind and go after it with all gusto. That's how to be a more purposeful person. I hope that encourages you perhaps to go pick up a copy or pick up your copy of Think and Grow Rich. Maybe it's been a while since you read it. Another little piece here to how to be a more purposeful person is to prioritize. So what is a priority? It's a thing that is regarded as more important than anything else. And you have to decide what's more important in your business life, what's more important in your personal life. Everything's a priority. Henry David Thoreau said, it is not enough to be busy. The question is, what are we busy about? And so there's a lot of people busy, but what are we busy about? There's a heck of a difference between activity and productivity, and it gets down to prioritization. And then the last little piece here would be, make a habit of doing things failures don't like to do. And that's Albert Gray. He said, the secret of success of every person who has ever been successful lies in the fact that he or she formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. And that's out of the common denominators of success. Some powerful stuff there, all to digest, worth listening to again and chewing on, doing those things. In our coaching program, we have fundamentals. We have calls to our database. We have writing notes, doing Popeyes, taking a client for a coffee, doing those things going the extra mile during a transaction, exceeding people's expectations, doing those things, and doing them when you don't feel like doing them. That's when discipline kicks in. That's when support kicks in. That's when system kicks in. And that's why so many of our clients earn 10 to 12 times that of their competitors. It's because we have helped them cultivate their definite major purpose, connected it to their work, and then helped them be consistent. And then in that consistency, there's a prioritized list of activities. And that's it. It's no great secret. Just like Think and Grow Rich talks about a secret, it's laid out, clearly defined. Definite major purpose is in italics on page three of the book. It's right there in front of you. And yet that's what we do all the time. Because the reason why books like The Secret and all of these woo-woo stuff out there in regards to how to be successful, 
it's a lot simpler and it's a lot more practical than we make it out to be. And the reason we make it complicated and we want to make it more sophisticated is because then we don't have to face our own excuses. A few months back, we did an interview with Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL, and he came out and said that excuses are the lies that we tell ourselves. Well, something to remember. Here's the last piece on this. I want to give you a place to start. First, write out your definite major purpose. Now, I don't expect you to be able to sit down in the next 10 minutes and write out your definite major purpose. But there are words and thoughts that are very consistent throughout your life. For me, impact and improve the lives of people. That simple statement took me a long time to get to. That's the mission of our company, but that's my personal mission. Impact and improve. Now, impact comes from the desire of the heritage attributes that Kevin and I have talked about. The showman attribute wants to make a difference in people. And then improve is that refiner part of me. want to make people better. So to me, your definite major purpose comes out of a big essence of who you are as a person. So the more you understand yourself, that's a part of it. The next piece to this puzzle is the work that you've done. And when you've done things in your life where you felt like there's a tuning fork has gone off inside you, where you, you did something, and for me, I just have experiences where I've helped people in certain circumstances, and I didn't need pay, I didn't need acknowledgement, I didn't need thanks. It was just like I had this sense of that was just something good. And, you know, sure, when it feels great to be acknowledged for things, and sure, it's great to be paid for things, and sure, it's great to get rewards for things, but... You'll know that you're closer to your definite major purpose when you do certain things and you analyze those things you've done in your life where you had those tuning fork moments and you just felt good to do those things or you felt confidence doing something or you felt skill in doing something. And so, you know, show me a man skilled in his labor, he'll serve before kings. We've done past episodes on Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong was an immensely talented guy at one thing and one thing only. He was an awesome pilot, a very quiet guy, not really designed to be the star, not designed to be the Magellan that walked on the moon, not designed to get all this acknowledgement and praise. He was just so proficient as a pilot that they chose him and asked him to be part of the space program when there were thousands of people applying. They asked him to be the guy who was the leader of the Apollo 11 mission when there was tons of guys vying and jockeying for the position to be the first man on the moon. But he was so skilled at what he did. And so when you become skilled at something, you become confident. So we'll do more work at this in the future. But that's just a few hints to get the ball rolling for you of what might be the beginning of uncovering your definite major purpose. The next thing is the principle called win. And this is something I got from my mentor and friend, the great Lou Holtz. And for those who don't know, Lou Holtz was the coach at Notre Dame and many other places. Just a world-class coach and a world-class man. And everything was principle-based. And he had a principle called win. Everybody thinks that's all about the scoreboard, but win was what's important now. Now, the difference with this and the tyranny, the urgent I talked about earlier, is that this puts in place priorities and a sense of urgency together. So you're, the big picture is you're thinking about your definite major purpose. The next thing is this concept of win. It's your priorities along with the sense of urgency. And all successful people have a sense of urgency. The great Ogmandino used to say, failures act as if they had a thousand years to live. We put off tomorrow. We put off tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. And then tomorrow never comes. So win. 
what's important now. Lou used to say, if you continually ask yourself what's important now, you won't waste time on the trivial. And then lastly, commit to the next 30 days. Every morning, wake up and ask yourself, what's my definite major purpose? What is it I've enjoyed doing in my life? What is very natural for me to do? Where do my gifts lie? Where do I have confidence? You start asking yourself those questions every day. And then you follow that up with the next list, which is what's important now? Not what do I have to do now? What's important now? What are the priorities? As you start to get clearer and clearer on what your purpose might be, what are the priorities? What are the priorities? For the next 30 days, ask yourself these questions every morning. Maybe you revisit them in the evening. And what I always encourage people to do is write yourself clear. Write yourself clear. Write out your thoughts. Write out your thoughts. Write yourself clear. It'll start to manifest itself. Right in front of the pages will start to get clearer. I always will tell you this. A purpose statement, when done right, gets shorter and shorter and shorter, not longer and longer and longer. It gets clearer. It gets more concise. It gets more precise, and it becomes more powerful. So what did we do today? We uh, talked about why do we fail. We talked about succeeding on purpose and we talked about a few steps on where to start. And we had a chance to hear the story of Edwin Barnes, who, even though he looked like a tramp and couldn't afford a train ticket, he had a definite major purpose, to be in partnership with Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison, in his day, was like saying, I want to be in partnership with Bill Gates, or I want to be in partnership with Warren Buffett. This is a man who had over 800 patents in the history of the United States. A remarkable man and a guy with no money and no resources and didn't really have much of a a leg to stand on, had a definite major purpose to provide such value that they'd be in business together, and he did. And you know what? If Edwin Barnes can do it, so can you and I. And that's what I hope to leave you with today. I hope to leave you with the sense that you can live a more purposeful life. You can have a more purposeful career. You can leave this world a little better than you found it, and that's what I'm hoping for with my work. So hopefully this podcast has left you a little better than we found you. Hopefully you'll pick up your copy of Think and Grow Rich and revisit it. And I hope you'll join me next time as we delve into The Brian Buffini Show. If ever there was a man on purpose, it's you, Brian. That was awesome. After we figure out what we really want and prioritize our activities, we can build habits that will help us become more purposeful. Brian mentioned a few questions to ask yourself over the coming 30 days to discover your definite major purpose in life. And we've put them together in a special giveaway just for you insiders. So visit thebrianbuffinishow.com slash insiders to get your copy or sign up if you're not yet an insider. Before I let you go today, I wanted to read a quick note from one of our listeners, Casey Walker in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Mr. Buffini, I want to thank you for all the help you've provided through your book, podcasts, seminars, and most importantly, the example you set by the way you live your life. I'm a carpenter, and my bride is a homeschool mom to our two daughters. We both consume a lot of podcasts, and Tuesday with the great Brian Buffini is our favorite. You've inspired me to continue to grow as a husband, father, Christian, and multiple business owner. May God continue to bless you. Well, thanks, Casey. We really appreciate you taking the time to write to us. We always love hearing from our listeners. And as we end the show today, I'll leave you with Brian's mum, Therese, for the Irish blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. 
May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Thank you.